0: Welcome back to another episode of The Insecurity Show. On episode 36, we cover Patriot Act backpedaling, breaches of OPM and the hacking team, as well as
1: some interesting Finnish justice. Visit our website at in-security.org for the show notes, past episodes, to leave comments, and more. If you have any feedback on this episode or any other ones, please send it to feedback at in-security.org. And follow us on Twitter at Insecurity Show. My name is Max. And my name is Matt everyone's hopping aboard the recording train how's it going this week buddy oh man yeah 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 that's excellent to hear yeah man things are going actually well did you have a big week i did i did have a big week what'd you get up to bought a new minivan oh crazy there's that now that your brood is van
0: worthy well we had uh, a minivan before but it was a hand-me-down and no complaints or anything like that but it was a 2002 and it was starting to rust out and you know things were going on at uh, the engine light was on the driver's side window wouldn't go down occasionally wouldn't start you know just little things all of these sound like things that happen to minivans yeah we ended up going and buying ourselves a new people mover that sounds awesome it's crazy how much the technology has changed in vans i gotta tell you Like the first time we sat in the Odyssey, we are like, oh my God, what do all these things do? Like just feature after feature after feature. Most normal people probably know about just, you know, we thought it was like high-end luxury cars that had that kind of stuff in it. And it turns out that it's in a lot of things.
1: Sounds appropriate for a, a van that gives me images of space travel. True. What's going on with you? I keep toying with the idea of improving my studio here just because... I'm having so much fun building out a ridiculous studio. That's cool. You got some stuff so that when we have
0: other people dialing in, it's going to sound a little bit better. Yes, absolutely. Or at least you'll have more control,
1: right? Well, definitely it should improve the the sound quality. Um, my most recent purchase was a two-channel Hum Destroyer, Ooh. the Behringer Hum Destroyer. It sounds vicious uh so one of the unusual things that i found with my setup is whenever i run audio in from a pc if i um jack the audio up on the pc loud enough then there's unusual electronic hums that are happening hmm. which tend to be a result of allegedly of improper grounding which doesn't appear to be the case on my systems because i have a uh power strip not a power conditioner but i've got a hefty power strip that's meant to properly ground things but then you know when i do things like move my mouse i will hear uh, electronic noises coming through the, the machine
0: yeah i think that has to do with the fact that everything's on your motherboard right you're using a laptop for that secondary pc and it's got like a sound card built into the motherboard. Yes. Yeah, I think that the audio on those motherboard sound cards on on laptops aren't so
1: hot. Mm. I'm unclear, but uh, this Hum Destroyer does all but completely obliterate that. So, quite frankly, uh, pretty pleased with that. That's fantastic. Yeah.
0: Oh, you know that last episode we recorded? Yes. Where we're like, well, the U.S. is on the right track and they're stopping the USA Patriot Act and the illegal collection of information yep yeah as of july 1st the fISA court said yeah let's just keep doing that for six more months while we migrate
1: away so (laughs) it's really unusual we're able to prove that we've got something that's really ineffective we voted not to do it so let's just continue on doing it for a little bit well not only that is they were gone for a whole month they were barred from being
0: able to do it for a whole month so, from June 1st to July 1st, they weren't allowed to collect the information anymore. So, they basically had to shut down everything. And then the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court said, okay, we, we'll allow your
1: request for six months of continuing to do this stuff to go. Huh. I guess they're getting a little bit antsy of putting all of those computers out of a job.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. But I mean, it's probably a good thing because nothing ever bad happens that the government lets data go free, right? It's a good thing that the government never lets anything out of their hands. They never lose control of their data, right? Yeah, not not like the OPM breach where the government lost millions of people's personal records.
1: Not just personal records, but wasn't it potentially like medical records and medical histories and...
0: Oh yeah, no. So at first, when they were breached, they discovered the fact that something like uh, 1.25 million records were gone of people who had served in the military, either past or present, uh, for the past ten years or so, and uh, and it was all things like their you know checkups and medical history and all of the questions that they asked people when they were going to hire these folks. At the beginning, along with their you know social security number, their date of birth, mother's maiden names, references from all of those people, you know, any addictions, problems that they've had in the past. Any of the secret stuff that they have to divulge to get clearance levels, their clearance levels that were there. Um, so a whole bunch of stuff that could be damaging in the wrong hands for people to find out who who to turn to be a spy for like another country or something. Right. Then it turns out that it's actually worse than that. It actually turns out to be basically anybody who's ever applied for a government job throughout all of the branches of government. So there's like 21.5 to 22 million records that were sucked out of this organization without them knowing until, you know, just recently
1: 21.5 million individuals that were compromised and that includes 19.7 million that just applied for a security clearance not even that we're running for office or anything oh yeah that's right and potentially 1.8 million non-applicants predominantly the spouses or cohabitants of applicants
0: right because you get them to vouch for you right as you're applying so they do background checks into those people
1: as well yeah so 1.8 who had nothing to do with this application process other than you threw them under the bus (laughs) well
0: i mean use them as a reference and these people just completely mishandled the data
1: Just entirely terribly. The form also covers any interactions with police, use of illegal drugs and alcohol, detailed information on financial problems, and information of any unauthorized use of information technology systems. The form requires candidates to provide information for the past seven years. However... Top security clearance investigations go back 15 years.
0: The lady Catherine Archuleta.
1: That's the person in charge of the department at the time of the breach.
0: Tried to play it down. And she went in front of a bunch of Senate hearings and stuff like that and tried to defend it, but did like a pretty weak job in defending kind of the breaches other than saying, basically, you guys never gave us the money that we asked for. Anyways, after the significance of this breach came out, she uh, she resigned. It's really unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah. Especially because, I mean, not so much in this case, but where people get breached, they tend to learn a lot more about how they got breached, things to protect, you know, what actually happened as they rebuild the scenario so that they could get in a better position for next time. But the OPM where they were like just negligent and from from the things that I'm reading. Like they weren't logging stuff. So how do you detect something that you don't log, right? Nobody's reviewing the logs. That's one thing. But at least to actually log it in the first place. So that if something happens, an incident happens, then you can actually go back and respond and, and look at these things and see how bad the problem is. See how they got in the first place. Yeah, absolutely. Without those those tools in place. I mean, just terrible password practices as well, from what I understand, just completely obsolete systems. Um, Which goes back to the money thing, I'm sure. Yeah, it sounds like a
1: pretty bad day for a lot of people. One random website that I just saw says that the impact of this could be felt over the next 40 years. Yeah,
0: I saw something else about the generational impact on this. Who knows? There's a lot of hyperbole. One thing that I was uh, was talking on uh, Google Plus today with somebody who posted uh, basically a rant about this was around the Senate folks that were um, interviewing Archuleta and saying things like, why didn't you encrypt the information? Right. And The fact that they were so completely, totally compromised, there's pretty much no version of encryption that would have protected them from this anyways, right? Right. When you typically, when you encrypt like a disk, it's so that if the system's stolen, taken offline, then you can't get at the data. But if you're making queries against a system through the normal channels, it will just decrypt that data off of the disk and hand it back to you so you know maybe encryption's not actually the best thing to do in that case you know there's bigger fish to fry like logging stuff like that yeah actually at work i'm trying to think back to security basics and how things are designed in the first place and some things are coming back to me that i was thinking maybe we should talk about in this show that sounds like an excellent plan So for instance, one of the things actually before I started working as a security professional that made me kind of clue into a lot of these things and and yeah, so one of the first things that I'd heard is a presentation from somebody in the security group come by and tell us the different kind of stages and how security was structured. There's like a circle, right, where you Implement protection controls, like protective controls that actually stop things from happening, right and then there's the next phase of that circle is the detective controls, where you see kind of the things that are getting past your protections, and then there's the response phase where you actually respond to those things that are going out of whack and then you recover, right and then you go through that again, you implement more protective controls, so it's kind of like the circle that goes around.
1: It's an iterative process to increase security. It sounds like something that would be really great to follow along in a graphic that was maybe put in our show notes. The show notes can be found at in-security.org slash EP036. And we'll try and put something together like that. So I was thinking
0: about this in the terms of, you know, what controls do we have in place now that are protective? What controls do we have in place now that are detective? How do we shore up those two? Because some things, some systems in security are actually just designed to be detective. So, for instance, the logging component from this story, right? You have to actually log stuff and then you have to actually look at those logs to pull out pertinent information. And once you have done that manual work, right, then you can start automating those things. And that's where systems like intrusion detection systems actually fit in so it can look through and say okay well this is you know beyond the bounds of normal i'm going to start alerting somebody on that and get people's eyes driven to that to be able to respond faster right to be able to remediate that problem faster right and then once you have a high level of confidence in what you're seeing you can typically turn these automated systems from just detecting on it to actually preventing things so that's where the intrusion prevention systems are right so if you know that there's nothing that this flag is alerting on that is normal traffic you can just block it out right automatically right
1: yeah absolutely shutting
0: ports and taking names that's kind of some of the things that i was thinking about you know how to give that information across so that people can actually start doing these things some of the people that i have been following on twitter are talking about basically Stuff that I've touched on before about, uh, you know, doing tasks yourself to really understand like in the grits of it, what it actually means. And then you automate those things so that you can actually not have to do it so many times. So some of the more successful people have automated themselves out of a job. Right. And that's kind of what you want to do is you want to you know be able to do more with less. That's what we're constantly being asked to do. And so you take the stuff that's manually intensive and boring and you don't like to do. Right. And me being a lazy person, I want to do the least of that as possible. So I'll spend three times the amount of time to actually automate it, script it and get get rid of that problem and then
1: just keep it going in the background and check it in it
0: momentarily. Three
1: times the amount of time with respect to the fact that it is a ongoing and you know, infinite project. Right. You can't really do the three times the amount of time, three times the amount of time it might've taken you to spend on it a couple of times. Um, you're, yeah, that's what, that's what I meant. Automating or you're innovating your way out of a, out of that particular job. Um, with the, the side note that obviously as other things become more advanced and more, um, effective, you are, keeping up to date with that so that you can continue on with that stuff while well, so like covering the rest instance, of it.
0: The stuff that's like manual grunt work and that you just have to do,
1: mm-hmm.
0: not that it's like, it, it is a part of your job, but there's more exciting creative stuff that you might want to do somewhere else. Right. It frees up that time. Right. It allows you to, to get to the more interesting stuff. And so you can start working your way up that stack from, you know, cleaning up all of the stuff that people break to, you know, starting to put in uh, sturdier shelves that don't tip over and drop everything on the ground that you have to clean up everything from, right? To, you know, maybe putting a barrier in where people can't swing their arms around when they just turn need to turn around and start looking more logically at how things flow, right? So that that's kind of what I'm getting at is you can... Get rid of the, the busy work and start working your way up that stack to get to a, a much better holistic place. Right. Anyways, I mean, at, at least there's just that, you know, one area of people that have been compromised in the government. And it's not like everything's going to hell in a handbasket. Oh, wait. Yeah. What, do, what, what are you talking about? <laughs> uh, so remember when we were talking about security research companies and how they do a bunch of research and find these vulnerabilities that were... Pure into unknown, and then they might sell those. And we're talking about through disclosures of letting people know about vulnerabilities within products so that the product makers can go fix them. Yes. Then there are the, uh, you know, that we talked in CanSec West talks about um, how, you know, there's people that sit on these exploits and then they'll release it at like a big event so that they get a whole bunch of notoriety. Yeah. And uh, in 2014, like Vupin is this French security research company and they had released like basically exploits to everything that there was except for, I think it was a Chrome sandbox escape. They weren't able to actually do that. Um, or at least they didn't want to demonstrate that. Uh, and they received a whole bunch of money for that, Um, But then in 2015, uh, when I was looking over, you know, the people who won there, Vupin wasn't listed there at all. And I thought that that was very weird to go from kind of the top of the game to not actually in the game at all. So um, I just had that nestled in the back of my brain. And uh, and then we were talking about, you know, there are people who disclose vulnerabilities to the manufacturers responsibly. There are the people that actually sit on them, wait for something there are the people that sell it on the black market. And actually, you know, the, there are people who sell these exploits like Vupin was doing beforehand. Um, they were selling exploits to uh, companies so that they could actually develop fixes for them kind of privately without it being publicly disclosed or individually disclosed to the to the vendor. Turns out there is a bunch of these companies that make kind of script kitty hacking tools. I don't know if you know what that means, but they sell basically these exploit toolkits, kind of gray hat style, not just like botnet herders that that do the same kind of things, but these guys make these packages and sell it to like governments, right? So that the governments can actually compromise into people's bad guys systems and find stuff that they don't like. Just
1: really briefly in case script kitty is not widely known basically a script kitty is any malicious person who decides to simply use scripts or pre-written software to attack other systems computer systems or networks they're not actually doing the research development compromising or programming themselves they're essentially just using out-of-the-box turnkey solutions low skilled
0: like they don't develop these things themselves they you know find out how things work they used one prepackaged tool They'll combine it with another prepackaged tool in a new and unique way that allows them to automatically compromise a bunch of systems or they'll just like spray and pray across thousands of systems. So unskilled to very low skilled using these automated tools and a little bit of knowledge to splice these things together to actually compromise machines. Right. Thanks for that level set. Yeah. So it turns out there's a couple companies that have been selling these things to governments and turns out that. Not all governments are freedom-loving, civil rights-maintaining organizations out there. Turns out that some of these may be towing the line of what the UN finds war uh, crimes or you know crimes against humanity. So pretty interesting when uh, one company out of Italy called Hacking Team that sells these exploit toolkits to governments around the world. The UN came up to them and said, "Are you selling?" your toolkit to uh, Sudanese government? And they say, no, 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 no. no. We're not selling it to them. And then they asked, have you ever? And they just stopped talking. And there's like these people have sold allegedly to people in Egypt, like the Egyptian governments, the um, Chinese governments who are looking for dissidents and like a whole bunch of pretty much every country type stuff, right? So now we have people who have basically a toolkit of unstoppable exploits that will definitely compromise systems through use of these tools because they're all zero days like they're unpatched right right and they sell them for big bucks and they support them as well to kind of assure that they work kind of like how that black market side will sell a bundle of credit cards and assure that like 98% of these credit cards are valid credit card numbers that you know will work so this is weird service model that goes along with uh shady software and and shitty data they got breached uh-oh completely and totally breached head to tail The these people who compromised hacking team must have been in there for like a year because they like exfiltrated like 400 gigs of data they had like all of their systems their email systems hr systems their their contract systems everything that that is there all of their code repositories from start to finish. Everything was taken out Their Their Twitter feed was compromised. The people who hacked them were using their Twitter feed to basically say, Hey, go and look at our, our new um, Git repository, which is like a code library online, go and check out hacked team to see all of our exploits. So they like dumped out all of that critical zero day knowledge onto like GitHub and it was just like here's basically the code to for everybody to start running these these zero days catastrophic so uh, very interesting as to you know basically everything was there how to jump out of uh, Google's Chrome they had like three or four uh, flash zero days that completely compromised machine so if you link those two together now, even though Chrome sandboxes uh, Flash, you just swing by a web page and the Flash ad loads up. That's got a malicious payload, and now it's onto the OS of your machine, right? And they had like Mac OS vulnerabilities that could do remote code execution, or Linux, or Windows, or Android, or basically whatever, right? Except for iOS on an unjailbroken platform. As soon as you jailbreak an iOS device, it's like you're running as root like all the time. Right. So any uh, escalation of privilege vulnerability there will actually compromise your machine. Right. It's like iOS actually has like UAC that in Windows, the uh, thing that pops up a notification to say, do you want to do this? But it just denies it all the time. So you can't do it on the standard iOS. Right. So, yeah. So. Flash is scrambling to patch all of these zero days that came out. I'm sure Microsoft is doing stuff, too. Oh, and in the trail of emails, they saw that some Moscow based hacker uh, was selling the Flash zero days to the hacking team for something like 25K per vulnerability. So this goes back to like there is money being made here like quite a bit. And Vupen was also credited for a bunch of the, for like the Google sandbox escape, I believe it was. Yeah. Yeah. So interesting. And then there was another one uh, that was compromised and and completely wiped out beforehand doing the same type of thing, just hacking teams, the most recent one, the one that I can
1: remember the name of. So interesting things are going on. Interesting and scary as usual. Really briefly, while we're recapping things, I did want to say, I think it was last week's episode where I talked a little bit about hopefully the one of the guys who had committed these cyber crimes wouldn't be uh, punished as an example, but would be punished justly. Uh, do you remember that? I do. I- Finnish courts have tried a hacker from the hacking group Lizard Squad. And this was uh, a guy called ZKill. Kill. Uh, that was his handle. Um, he was a a Finnish youth of 17 years old. And essentially, what has happened here is he was guilt, found guilty of something like 50,000 cyber crimes. He was part of the group that shut down the PlayStation Network over the Christmas holiday for several days, mm. basically throwing everybody in turmoil. This is a kid who has been responsible for swatting
0: yeah yeah that's when you uh call up the police department in some other city of the victim that you want and say uh yeah i'm gonna kill all of my family or something like that I've, or i have all these guns i'm gonna go on a rampage and they basically
1: send the swat team down onto you yeah exactly so he's been responsible for that he's been responsible for money laundering he was found guilty of more than fifty thousand cyber crimes including data breach, payment fraud, operating huge botnet and calling in bomb threats, among other violations. And so the Finnish courts have decided that they would fine him around $7,000 and give him a two-year suspended sentence wherein the police department is going to monitor him and he has to work to help solve cyber crimes. And that's the punishment that was doled out. Now, this is a Mm -hmm. kid who is responsible for making a bomb threat against former Sony online entertainment president John Smedley that grounded an American Airlines plane. That incident was widely reported uh, to have started with a tweet from the Lizard Squad. But Smedley and others say it was a call from Z Kill. So there's uh, throwing people under the bus. Why am I using that twice in one podcast? There are putting people up, using them as example for punishments and then there's the complete opposite which is really not knowing how to handle youths who are very malicious cyber criminals
0: then again he's a kid right and it's a different culture than we're used to and maybe just maybe this will work for him i don't know i mean it's not uh it's not really something I'm familiar with their culture too much.
1: It translates over into our culture as well. You've got kids who are a new case of criminal who we just don't know how to handle or what to do with this kind of criminal or this kind of crime. And the fact that it's a youth compounds it even more so, because you just don't really know like what the right process is to handle these mysterious cyber criminals, and you don't especially know what the process is to handle kids. Finnish justice system apparently works a lot with rehab as opposed to punishment, which hopefully will work out. But realistically, the fact that he then went on to his Twitter account and changed changed it to "Untouchable Hacking God." Ah. after the sentencing. And then the lizard squad went on and posted uh, something to the effect of all the people that said we would rot in prison don't want to comprehend what we've been saying since the beginning. We have free passes Mm. already. I suspect that you might be trying to reform someone who has absolutely zero interest in reforming.
0: Yeah, I think that's where the remorse thing has to come in play, right? They have to feel remorse and want to change, right? And have come to their kind of scared straight moment or whatever it is.
1: Right. Yeah. Now, if they're going to be monitored by the police, I really, I really hope that the Finnish police have really detailed knowledge about security and InfoSec. Yeah, I hope they're up to the task. Otherwise, basically, any cyber crimes that they're getting this kid to help them with, he's basically going to be feeding these back to his hacking group as, you know, Mm how-tos. Or who knows, who knows what. But I just thought that that was kind of a mildly interesting uh, story to touch on that had happened just recently. Indeed. That comes as a counterpoint to my uh, my last point.
0: Well, not a counterpoint, really. Well i guess so because you said like well i wish they just aren't so tough on people but
1: no i wish that they're appropriately tough on people i just hope that they don't use people as an example
0: well it's good that now we have both sides of that uh you know pendulum there's the ones that are tried way too hard and there's those that aren't tried hard enough slap on the wrist
1: anyways Matt it's been great talking to you on that note it absolutely has been so as always I hope that uh, you know you spend the week recovering a little bit more and you try and have yourself a great week thanks Matt you too